Hey moms, was your dinner last night the leftover chicken nuggets from your kids try? Is your current idea of self-care closing the door when you pee? If the only chance you have for exercise is the squats you do when you pick up your kids' Legos, well then take a seat, mama. You're in the right place. I'm Corinne. And I'm Jess. And this is Mama Mama Bites. Hi, moms. Hey. This is Corinne and Jess coming to you with another awesome episode of the Mama Bites podcast where we interview the one and only Elise Rush. Oh my gosh, the godmother of intuitive eating. I cannot even believe this is actually happening. So um, if you have not heard of Elise Rush before, you probably have not read the intuitive eating book, or at least you didn't flip to the the author section. (laughs) Um, So she is a nutrition and private practice in Beverly Hills Mm -hmm. of all places. This is BH. This is where intuitive eating was founded. And we cannot wait to hear more about how that all uh, came down. Um, Before we get to our interview with Elise, uh, we've heard some listener feedback about uh, wanting to know a little bit more about we what we're up to. I know. Right now. Jess, what are you up to? What am I up to? Uh, well, uh, my practice right now, I, for a while, was having uh, like an incredibly awful wait list, and now it's kind of freed up. So if you are looking for some individual psychotherapy and you live in California, Arizona, or Massachusetts, <laughs> <laughs> we can do some therapy. <laughs> specific spread of places. Yes, yes, I have a HIPAA compliant online platform that I love to use and I also have in-person time available for daytime clients only. Yes. <laughs> daytime <laughs> slots only. Mm-hmm. What about you? What uh, likewise, going? likewise yes. right now I have um, some daytime daytime slots that have opened um, and would love to welcome in some new clients to my practice. Yes. Um, so that's pretty exciting. Uh I've just signed on to speak at the Partners in Perinatal Health Conference. So that's exciting. Yes. And where is that? That is, where is that? I think it's in Norwood. Yes, it's in Norwood. Norwood, Massachusetts. It's in Norwood, Massachusetts. And it sells out every year. It's giant. It's awesome. And uh, it's got tons of speakers, but including our Corinne talking about mindfulness and eating and motherhood right yes and uh pregnancy and the postpartum period and um all of the like and and how not to go down the crazy rabbit hole that is getting your pre-baby body back salim so yeah that's gonna be amazing that's may 7th and 8th yes tuesday and wednesday and wednesday and there's still availability for that conference but i would highly suggest you get your uh ticket now because it definitely sells out every single year and there's like really cool other speakers there too looks like Mm -hmm. there's so many different topics that are getting covered so that's really cool Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm mm-hmm Anything else that we should know about with you, Jess? Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I have been watching a lot of television. <laughs> <laughs> I did, well, you know, I did watch the entire R. Kelly Lifetime documentary, which was highly disturbing, but so needed. 
Um, and I did tell my man, no more R. Kelly in our house. No, no. It's no. done. All done. It's all done. And he was sad for a moment. And then when I explained, he was like, I got, I got it. Yeah. Loud and clear, sister. Yeah. Good. Good. So glad he's listening. Remix to Ignition is no longer. No, no. That was a favorite. I know I'm that was such a favorite. A favorite. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Very Not sad. anymore. No. <laughs> well, we uh, are so excited to present uh, the rest of this uh, podcast as our interview with Elise. So we hope you enjoy. Well, Elise, thank you so much for coming on the Mama Bites podcast. We are beyond excited to be talking to you. Yes, thank you so much. And I am too. I've been looking forward to it. Oh, thank, thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Yeah, we wanted to kind of start out um, with, a, with a brief telling of the inception of intuitive eating. How was it born? How was it discovered? It's, it's really interesting. Um, I went to graduate school so many years ago, and all I was ever taught was medical nutrition therapy that included putting people on diets, essentially, Ugh. meal plans, and and I just didn't want to do that when I went into practice. I had done my, my training for my uh, RD, Registered Dietitian Certificate, uh, at Children's Hospital here in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. working in a clinic with developmentally disabled kids, and it was a multidisciplinary clinic so we had team meetings all the time and I worked with psychotherapists and nurses and speech therapists and physical therapists all the different health health disciplines Mm -hmm. and I decided that I was going to work in the field of developmental disabilities but it just didn't work out that way I kept getting referrals as soon as I went into practice from um, mostly from physicians who would send clients for quote-unquote health issues cholesterol diabetes and tell me to have them lose weight. <laughs> and it was, oh, no, I don't want to do this. So, but I was, I didn't know what to do. So I started to try to help people in, with not a diet, but it really was a modified diet. It was telling them how many exchanges of how many, you know, the different food groups. and But letting them know that it's fine. If you want a cookie, it's fine. But, but here I was taking over by giving them, you know, kind of the guidelines of what to eat. Sure. And I wasn't comfortable with it. I, in, fact, in fact, I was really um, so uncomfortable, especially when someone would come in and tell me that they had been overeating, and I didn't know what to do with it. And so um, this was not, you know, this was not good for me. So fortunately, somewhere, oh, within a number of years after I started my practice, I started reading some of the uh, new, at the time, non-diet uh, literature that was coming out. Mm-hmm. I read some of the Janine Ross books mm-hmm. where, you know, she's a, uh, not a professional, but a, a lay person who talked about her struggle, and she suggested eating whatever you want. And then I read a wonderful book by uh, Jane Hirschman and Carol Munter that was written over, um, it was called, I think, Overcoming Overeating. Yep. And yep. they, as psychotherapists, or at least Jane is, I don't know what Carol is, they uh, they suggested just let people eat whatever they want. And I thought about it, and I thought, sounded interesting, but I was a dietitian, so how was I going to be able to tell people to eat whatever they wanted? It just didn't sound like it was legitimate. So I struggled with it, but then I started to understand that the power of the psychology of why telling people what to eat and what diets do was, was all wrong. So I started writing a book. Mm-hmm. At the same time, my co-author, Evelyn Triboli, uh was um, renting space for me one day a week in my office because her office was an hour away and she liked to be in in L.A. one day a week. And (laughs) 
so we were we became friendly and one day she was walking down the hall and I looked at her and she looked a little upset about something and I said Evelyn what's the matter and she said oh I'm so frustrated uh, I'm trying to write this book with a psychologist, and she doesn't know how to write. <laughs> of, uh, there was a, a Virginia Woolf, there's a book about Virginia Woolf called Moments of Being. It was one of these moments of being where I went, this is it. I said, Evelyn, I'll write it with you, because mm-hmm. I thought that I was actually a pretty good writer. And we both were in the same place about how we didn't want to do this whole diet thing. We didn't know what to do with it. We were both aware of the new thinking and uh and we collaborated and that's how it began we started writing that book in 1993 it came out in 1995 and uh, things have changed dramatically in our viewpoint and in fact we are uh, we've just signed a contract to write the fourth edition of intuitive eating that will come out next year which is its 25th anniversary so uh, you know we've kind of um as the, uh, I, I think I'm behind the times but already, but as people say, we have become woke to uh, <laughs> yes. so many more things now than when we wrote the book. Yes. So we're, we're fixing the book. Wow. <laughs> that's so, so amazing. amazing. So that's how that all started, and it has changed, well, it changed my life dramatically. It's changed so many people's lives, and it's, it's really, at this point, it's my baby. You know, I mean, it's <sighs> just, uh, it's just. So satisfying and wonderful to do this work. Yes. Yes, we agree. Wow. I think we can, I mean, I'm speaking for you, Corinne. Yes. It's, it's changed both of our lives. For sure. In a huge way. For sure. So thank you. Absolutely. <laughs> wow. How, how do you feel like it's evolved? I mean, I, I feel like you've alluded, you just alluded to it, but, yes. you know, what do you think's evolved since? Well, you know, we were still stuck 25 years ago in the idea of people, quote, unquote, normalizing their weight. And we offered through intuitive eating that if you were not in tune with your hunger and fullness signals, if you were eating emotionally, then perhaps you're at a weight that is not what you're meant to be, and through intuitive eating, you will normalize. Well, we have fully taken the focus off of weight. We've become so embraced, you know, embracing of the health at every size mo- uh, movement, of the understanding that people come in all sizes and shapes, and and it's more about respecting one's body and helping little ones learn that, you know, everybody is wonderful and, and nobody is, you know, their weight, you know, no, everyone yeah. is more than, than weight. So we have moved away from... Um, the whole weight concept and even in the last edition which is the third edition that came out in 2012 so that was written in 2010 2011 it takes two years to get a book out usually by the way not this new one but um we there were still references to weight and so this newest book we're pulling that all out wow um uh, we've gotten, I know, I have gotten emails from people who say, I love the book, but there are triggers in it. And I agree. Yeah. There are just, um, there's just some language in there that needs to be changed. So it will be changed. Wow. Wow. That's, That's amazing. Very cool. Hmm. <coughs> wow. Um, and even the concept of health, you know, even that, uh, as I'm rewriting, uh, going through the, the book and rewriting it, I'm, I'm moving away from the word health, healthy food to nutri- more nutritious food, mm. which is uh, so different. I mean, there's so much orthorexia out there. There's so mm. much focus on what's yeah. healthy and what's not healthy and what you should eat and what you shouldn't eat. And I don't want to frame it in that way anymore. So, yes, some foods have more nut- nutrients in them, but they're not necessarily going to change one's health. In fact, 
there's um, a lot of being written right now about the about how things change constantly in the nutrition community. You you are a psychotherapist, but in the nutrition community, whatever you believe one year gets refuted supposedly mm-hmm. scientifically, and it goes back and forth. Sometimes fats are bad. Sometimes fats are good. You know and uh, focus on on carbs don't focus focus on protein it just goes back and forth and even with some of the the vitamins and minerals i remember when vitamin e was something you should take every day and now they tell you not to take it <laughs> vitamin d big hype on that now this question about that so to me we really can't look at any specific foods as having uh, or or ways of eating as necessarily having a huge impact on health in, in, in the way that some people think that they do, and they, and they become, you know, just spokespeople for a particular way as if it's the only way, but mm-hmm. there isn't one way. Mm-hmm. In fact, there was just an article in the New York Times Sunday Review called the AI Diet, the uh, Artificial Intelligence Diet, and it was fascinating. It was written by a man, I believe was a scientist, um, who had so many factors looked at to see what would be the perfect foods for him. I think they, they looked at his microbiome and his blood and his urine and all kinds of other medical tests, and they came up with specific foods that were meant to be for him. And as it turned out, they were some of them were the worst foods for him because he had gout, and some oh, of them were high in purine, and you're not supposed to have high purine foods. Oh, so even in an individual trying to figure out what the best foods are isn't always accurate. So how can you tell a whole population that, you know, you should eat in one way or another way. So I'm mm. going on and on. <laughs> no, I'm wow. loving this. Yeah. 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 I mean, kind of like on that note, you know, you're in Beverly Hills, which I think we sort of traditionally look at as a place where like many um, diets are born. And uh-huh. um, you're talking the language of, of anti-diet. You're like yeah. counterculture. So is it, what is that like? And especially well, it's, in it's like the beginning. Yeah, it's especially difficult when I'm working with people in the entertainment industry mm. uh-huh. where the pressure is so great um, to especially even more for women in terms of uh, weight for men often just in terms of build but the pressure is you know try to be thinner than you are supposed to be and and I have been able to help some people refute that and say they won't take parts if they're told that they have to lose weight but in the general <sighs> public yes we are in California Beverly Hills I live in Santa Monica, which is near the beach. I mean, there is such a uh, striving for looking good, and it's very difficult. And I really uh, uh, spend a lot of time with people um, trying to help them find all of the qualities that they have that have nothing to do with how they look and, and appreciate those qualities and, and help them understand from just a very basic level that we can't fool Mother Nature which is one of my favorite phrases, in that our bodies are meant to be what they're meant to be. We're DNA programmed. Can we make ourselves stronger? Can we make our muscles you know, stronger and our bones stronger? Can we increase our immune system uh, in, you know, by taking good care of ourselves? But it's not just about food. It's about so many factors, sleep and meditation and you know, just a, whole, a holistic uh, way of looking at taking care of oneself and try to help them shift their focus and and I do a lot of feminist talk because I I was right there in the beginning of the feminist the second wave of of the feminist revolution and Mm -hmm. try to help them look at their value system and and um 
how this all came about that pe- women especially thought that they needed to be thinner to be, you know, approved of. And so I do a lot of that, some historical stuff with that, and, and just try to give them as much, much as information as I can and connect with them at a really, um, you know, deep level to help move them to start shifting their thinking. And then, of course, it's just the basic facts. You know, you keep going on diets. Um, you are um, really negatively affecting the body, metabolism, hormones, so many things that could be permanent. So, mm-hmm. and, and unfortunately, that's what gets people sometimes more than anything, thinking, yes. if I keep dieting, I'm going to slow my metabolism, yes. which, of course, they're translating to, oh, my God, I'll gain weight. So right. it's not really, <laughs> it's not the direction I really want them to go into, but mm. it gives them some, some things to think about yeah. scientifically. That we find that too. That sometimes mm. that's sort of the, the first way that people are actually able to buy in, and is right. the, the metabolic right. piece. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it seems a little crooked to me, but yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, it's a little devious. However, there's truth in it. It's not a lie, but it's um, it's really not where I want them to end up at the you know after they have gone through their healing process. Absolutely, mm-hmm. kicked off a whole self care revolution lease <laughs> <laughs> well you know it's so interesting when Evelyn and I were talking um, after we wrote the intuitive eating workbook uh, we were thinking gosh if we had an 11th principle it would be called self-care mm, because yep. there's so many so many aspects uh, that intuitive eating affects and that affect intuitive eating um, in terms of self-care I mean if you are if you're only sleeping four hours a night I read this wonderful book by Matthew Walker called Why We Sleep. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It's powerful about the damage that's done when we get less than seven or eight hours of sleep a night. So, you know, if someone's trying to get away with, I do have a client who, who is, <laughs> she's a young lawyer. She has two young children, uh, mm-hmm. one year and four years old, and she's telling me she's sleeping four years, four, sorry, four, she'd like to sleep four years, yeah. four hours yeah. a night. And, um, you know, and when she came to me just about a month ago, she was binging all the time. Of course. Fortunately, she's, of course. her binging has really subsided since we started working together. But, you know, you don't sleep enough, you're you're right. not going to be able to be very present and focused and listen to your body and all those things. Mm, sure. And your body will compensate in all kinds of other right, ways. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Mm. I think you're uh, actually probably segueing us perfectly into our next question about um, what your experiences have been from your private practice and also in your own life on how intuitive eating, you know, can be a life preserver for moms, but also might be sort of a particular challenge for moms as well. Well, let me start with something really interesting that I'm going to be putting into the uh, chapter uh, which I wrote on raising kids and teens as intuitive eaters in the intuitive eating book. Um, we are adding, and I'm writing about uh, baby led weaning. Have you uh-huh. heard of this? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yes. And looking at basically having the baby be the one who directs the you know process of solid foods and and when they're ready for it and what they want to eat versus spoon feeding and looking at it as. Um, intuitive eating for babies <laughs> and starting yes. starting the process of empowering them and and uh, the search for autonomy that we all have all of our lives can even be instilled right there um, with you know helping the baby sit at the table and and decide when to eat I'll, I'll go into detail in it in the book but and there's a wonderful book by the way called um, born to eat uh-huh. by Leslie Schilling uh-huh. which and 
actually shilling in Wendy Jo Peterson that uh, that explains this whole thing. So, um, but putting that aside, I mean, kids are intuitive eaters, and I I know my son certainly was an intuitive eater. Well, he has been all of his life, and. Uh, for some of my clients, it's remarkable when they look at the way their kids are eating and they look at the way they're eating, um, and these are the ones who come for help, so they don't want to put onto their children what has been put onto them, mm-hmm. you know, historically. Uh, and they're, they're in awe that these kids just have no issues. You know, they, they eat well, they eat in a balanced way, there's no good food, there's no bad food. Some days they, all they want is, is fruit and some days they want more candy and some days all they want is you know chicken so um they're watching that and they're going wow i wish i could eat like that and (laughs) recognizing that this is how we're born and it's getting back to what these kids so the kids are role models really right um Mm. in in watching them so is that what you were asking (laughs) uh yeah i mean i think i think uh you know we hear um we fully believe in that, and and we also hear a lot of feedback from clients about um, that they don't have the time with mm. intuitive eating. They don't have the time to and space to really think about what they want mm. and et cetera. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we. But it's so interesting to say they don't have the time for right. intuitive eating, which is 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 that saying they don't have the time to go buy food. You know, somehow food has to get in the house, yeah. whether they're going to buy it or whether there's so many ways now of having it delivered to the house. I know here anyway that that um, it can be delivered. Somebody in the family has to buy food. Nobody's mm-hmm. going to starve. So mm-hmm. just start with buying the food you really enjoy without having to think about good food, bad food mm. um, would be one of the first things to say to someone I don't have who says I don't have time for intuitive eating. The, the other thing is to really um, ask them to just notice how they feel. It's, it's not taking a lot of time, but just notice how they feel if they've eaten, a, you know, kind of filling breakfast or if they haven't eaten breakfast at all. Is Do they have enough energy throughout the day if they're not eating in the morning or if they go all day long and don't um, – don't eat, which is what happens to a lot of people are so busy, and then at night when they put the kids to bed, then they're binging. Sure. just notice that, and it might be a motivator. I do a lot of um, my work through a process of, which I know you guys know about motivational interviewing, Mm -hmm. just helping people have a motivation to make a change that makes sense to them. Mm -hmm. So if they're going all day long and they hear the science, um, so I do teach, I educate, you know, about how the body works and how the mind works, and help them understand that, sure, going all day long and not eating and then being stressed out from work and kids. And, of course, you're going to want to binge in the evening to get your brain is going to send out a message to get as much food in because it's the survival part of the brain that's activated by not eating all day. And you want the comfort from it. So, you know, people think about it. They might be willing to. They don't have to make some some, you know, fancy gourmet lunch. I can just slap some peanut butter on some bread and have a peanut butter sandwich. Right, right. And they're probably making them for their kids anyway, so make an extra one for themselves. There are ways of um, self-care in in eating that don't have to be so complicated. So Mm -hmm. I think people are scared. I think this is going to mean that I have to rate every bite of food in terms of my, you know, what number on the hunger scale or what (laughs) number on the fullness scale. No, it's nothing like that. It's more about just kind of paying attention to how you feel. Mm. Yeah. I think that's such a great point because I think um, perfectionism is such an issue. Yeah. 
in um, just all over, but uh, certainly the feedback we hear in our practices and, and also just with the show that that's, that's such um, a challenging issue for moms. And I, I definitely think that something that we hear come up is that people want to perfectly intuitively eat. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So the new intuitive eating diet, right? Yes. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. And and we have to um, really disabuse people of of that. Intuitive eating is not an absolute plan. It's just some guidelines that are going to help you have more satisfaction in eating and feel better. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Bottom line. I love that. And uh, if, if it's a little more simplified, I think people will get less, um, fearful of it, and then if we can just encourage them that there is no perfect, there's no perfection in the world. Period. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. I think Dolly said Salvador Dolly said something like, uh, "Don't try to be perfect; you won't get there." I mean, there's there's <laughs> no there's no perfection. So if we let help our clients let go of trying to be perfect and realize that there is nothing about intuitive eating that has to do with perfection. In fact, I have this model that I just drew one day. I just whipped it up. I'm not an artist, but I just whipped it up one day. And I, it's actually in the Intuitive Eating Workbook. There's a graph uh, of it, which is just a spiral. And I call it the spiral of healing. And it's um, what I say is that the momentum is always upward and onward. And this is especially for my clients with eating disorders, that uh, the movement is always moving forward and upward. And those little loops along the way on the spiral are the times when people would say, oh, I'm blowing it, mm-hmm. I, yeah. you know, I did it wrong, it wasn't perfect, and start judging themselves and be so critical. And I, I have them look at it as this is such an opportunity for growing and, and learning. There's no failure with intuitive eating because mm-hmm. there's, no, you know, there's no perfection that we're trying to go for. We're just trying to learn and be curious all the time. So if you've been pretty intuitive for a few days and then one day you have this, you know, big overeating experience, don't judge yourself. I mean, blame and guilt are such hard feelings that people have and talk about all the time. Let that all go. Have compassion for yourself. Maybe, as I was saying before, maybe you, you just forgot to eat lunch or you didn't have time and, and you were very stressed out. Let's look at that and see how we can find ways, like <laughs> slapping the peanut butter on the bread <laughs> type of thing. In, fa- in fact, I years ago had a, a client come in who had only been on a diet for a week, which is kind of funny. She'd never died. She was a young woman and never dieted. And she was coming home from work and binging every night. And we discovered that she was going from noon until she got home at 7 o'clock, and she was starving. And all we had to do was put in a half a peanut butter and jelly sandwich at about (laughs) 5 o'clock, and it all stopped. Now, this was someone obviously not entrenched in yeah, yeah. (laughs) But um, sometimes there's just some, some... things that we can learn from the problems we've had. And if we look at it, I I like to say look uh, at everything from a place of curiosity, Mm -hmm. not judgment, Mm -hmm. just very neutral. Just look at it. Be curious. Oh, yeah, I didn't eat enough. Or, oh, yeah, I ate a lunch that I hated. I didn't like that food. And then I just wanted, you know, more afterwards so I could get something that tasted good. Let's look at what was going on. and, And that gives us some room to make some changes. 
Mm, I love that. Love yeah. that process, that curiosity process. We um we actually we queried our listeners for questions and we did get ah. a listener question. Someone okay, wanted yeah. to know how you sort of manage the messages of intuitive eating when kids are being given food rewards by outside sources like at school or maybe at grandma's house or other caregivers. Um well, what do you think I, about I that? I think that it depends um if it's grandma and they're going to grandma's house now and then, you know, what they do in their home is going to have the most impact on them. So we can't, I mean, we can't fix the whole world and we can't mm-hmm. prevent kids, you know, give kids a perfect intuitive eating. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so in, in situations like that, well, that's what happens at grandma's house. Sometimes, so I have had clients talk to parents and in-laws uh, about making sure that they don't make negative comments about weight or food or, or anything like that and hope that they'll get through to them. And sometimes, you know, if Grandma just wants to give them whatever they want, well, that's part of intuitive eating anyway. Mm, so sure. not to make a big deal of it. But it's more, as you say, in, in kind of the nursery school situation or daycare situation, uh, I think that, that it would be something to look at before enrolling a child in the school to see what their their attitude about food is in that school. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, parents don't always have a choice of where they're going to put their kids, but yeah. um, something to take a look at. And, and w- having a voice, walking into someone's office, if it's the principal of the school or or the woman or, or the person, I should say, who um, owns the daycare, to tell them what you want, what you feel, what you think about, take some you know, pull some facts out of the intuitive eating book, perhaps, to talk to them about it. We self-silence way too much. We mm-hmm. don't speak up for what we need. Mm-hmm. And um, so at least give that a try. In terms of doctors, that's another whole mm-hmm. bugaboo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So many, um, especially pediatricians, are, oh, they're all caught up in this quote-unquote obesity <laughs> epidemic and putting fear into parents, which then puts you know, con- trying to control their kids and put fear into the kids. And I spent a lot of time on the phone with doctors trying to help them uh, understand that what they're doing is not helpful. You know, doctors are not experts in psychology or nutrition. Mm-hmm. They may be medical experts, but they're really not taught. Uh, they don't have a lot of classes in nutrition. I don't think they have a lot of classes in psychology in medical mm-hmm. school. So, you know, sometimes it's up to us as professionals and parents to to talk to them and say, this is not what I want to happen. In fact, I've had parents call the pediatrician and say, please do not talk when my <coughs> child comes in. Do not talk about the number on the scale. I guess doctors feel as kids growing, they have to weigh them. But do not say a word about weight or numbers mm-hmm. or anything like that mm-hmm. um, in front of my child. Yeah. I always just, there's like a little form that I fill out for my daughters uh, or for both of my kids when we go really? in. And I oh, just, great. and I just write, right on there like any any questions or concerns that you have about her weight just feel free to email me with <laughs> we're not talking about in front of her in front of either of them because mm-hmm. i i will say since i do i'm a certified eating disorder rd and i think that uh, i work with lots and lots of people over the years with severe eating disorders and many of them tell me that it all started yep when the doctor said you know they were 
especially for a little girl who was going into puberty who yep. had to gain weight in order to get her first period. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, my gosh, she's, you know, she can't look at how much she gained since the last time. Better watch it. And that's where the eating disorder began. Yep, mm-hmm. you know? absolutely. So, um, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, I've even had to educate doctors who say they're eating disorder. Oh, you know, trained no. Eating disorder. Um, I have uh, a client who has been in treatment for bulimia, who's been in treatment for her eating disorder, who has always lived in a large body and is a healthy, healthy, healthy young woman. And she went to a doctor who said that um, she was an eating disorder uh, expert, and she told her to get on the scale. And she said, no, I don't want to get on the scale. I don't get weighed. And she said, well, doesn't your dietician weigh you? And she said, no, she doesn't weigh me. And the doctor said, well, how are we going to know what you weigh? And (laughs) the client just got hysterical and walked out crying. And I spent a half an hour on the phone with this doctor trying to help her understand the damage she was doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. I said, what what difference does it make? Yes. (laughs) What difference does it make what she weighs? What we're working on is helping her, you know, deal with her feelings, helping her have better self-care, helping her move her body for health, you know, for her own feeling good and health. And um, a number on the scale is, or weighing her is just so destructive. So. Mm -hmm. Yes. Agreed. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Thank goodness. Yes, we're trying to do, we all in this world are trying to do what we can to heal the world. And that includes educating people that we can... Yeah, we can get through to them. Yeah. Um, You know, one of our favorite questions that we ask every person we talk to is, you know, we we're wholeheartedly invested in intuitive eating. We think all foods fit for all people. But Mm -hmm. there are certain foods that tend to be a little more geared towards kids like um, like kids or children. Uh Um, Uh And so we were wondering if you had a favorite quote unquote kid food. It's, I don't understand. It's it um, it's sort of a, it's it's just a fun question since our show is um, geared towards moms and uh-huh. um, so many moms uh, really set up categories of like this is something that my kids have, I'm not allowed to have it, um, and so we we really seek to normalize that all foods are okay, and right. so uh, we we ask all of our guests. Um, uh-huh. Is there a favorite quote unquote kid food that they have? Like we've heard uh um uh tater tots. Tater tots comes up a lot. Yes. <laughs> Aaron you mean Fl- things that I particularly like? Yes. yes. I hear. Oh my gosh, I like all foods. <laughs> French fries and um candy and all those things and ice cream. Oh my ice cream is probably my favorite food. Oh, yes. On, on the website it says it's chocolate, but there it's I would say if I had to redo that it would it would be ice cream. So, yeah, that's, I guess so. But I don't, see, I, the reason I was getting confused is I don't see foods as kid foods and adult foods, I yeah. think. Yes, mm-hmm. <laughs> we love that answer. We do, we love we it. Love it's the greatest. Erin yeah. right. Flores so. was on the show and, and, and particularly took up with that. Yeah, that he piece. fought us hardcore <laughs> about the label <laughs> of kid food. That's great. Do you have, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream, Elise? Oh, gosh, uh, Coffee. Ooh. Which is probably not a kid food because you know. <laughs> no, my daughter <laughs> loves mocha chip. 
My daughter's oh, a mocha, mocha chip, chip fan. Yeah. No, I just love coffee ice cream. There used to be a restaurant here in, in Beverly Hills that had something called a, co- a coffee cooler, and it was like a coffee milkshake. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. My favorite thing in the, in the whole world. Yeah. But now I, I worry a little if coffee ice cream is on the menu late at night. I'm worried it's going to keep me up. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Understood. So this is this is wonderful. Tell us about where our moms can find you, Elise. What what are you most excited about right now? <clears throat> well, I'll tell you what I'm most excited about, which is my new book that's coming out on April 1st, which is the uh, Intuitive Eating Workbook for Teens. Ooh. And I wrote this book. Um, this, I solo authored this. And I wrote this book uh, in teen language, in kid language. It's fun. It's interesting. It's down down and dirty, and really gets them to um, understand, uh, I mentioned earlier, I think a driving force for all of us um, is auto- is driving for autonomy and helping, whether they're tweens or teens un- or young adults, understanding that um, we want to be able to have a say in what we do in life. And for teens, sometimes they don't have uh, much say in their lives. There's a lot of rules for them, but at least be able to figure out what they like to eat and how much they want to eat and how they feel and get satisfaction. And I do believe that this book is actually for the teen in each of us because mm-hmm. I'm very much a believer in inner child work mm-hmm. and yes. caring, yeah. caring our little kid and our teenager with us all of our lives. And so I think it will appeal to everyone in that way. And I've kind of moved around the principles of intuitive eating, renamed the chapters. So it's, it's, uh, it's fun. And it's, April 1st, so I can't wait to... That is coming. That is right around the corner. Oh, we can't wait. That's awesome. It is. It is. And I actually have a couple of clients who are 11 years old, and they're going to be, even though they're not teenagers yet, one of them in particular can't wait for it to come out and do some of the, you know, exercises with me because... (laughs) Kids are pretty sophisticated today at a very young age. Oh, I know, mm-hmm. I know. It's true. You know, so I think they're going to get it. Eleven, mm-hmm. wow. Mm-hmm. Eleven. <laughs> so, yeah, I've actually worked with kids. As I had one child once who was five. Oh, yeah. Um, I prefer to work with the parents when it's a young child, but sometimes um, it's really necessary for me to be able to get down to a child's level and speak to the child. I used to be an elementary school teacher. Before I went back to graduate school in my 30s, I um, taught elementary school for four years, and so I I love kids. Oh, wow. That's so cool. Great. Yeah, well, we will we'll definitely link to your website. Uh, are you on any social media that we should know about? Elise? Yes, I, <laughs> I'm i laughing because it is all so new to me. I type my master's thesis on a typewriter with whiteout. <laughs> <laughs> you know, nobody probably knows what that means, but cut and paste meant you took a scissors and you cut out. Yes. <laughs> on the next page. But yes, I do have an Instagram account, um, and I have a Twitter account, and I have a Facebook account, and I this last uh, last year I went to Italy and po- started really posting on Instagram. P- most of it was pictures of the spaghetti I was eating every day. Yes. And gelato I was having. <laughs> Talk about my favorite food. But I, I will, you know, post some things on there. I, I have to say I'm not real um, sophisticated in my use of social media, <laughs> but I do, tr- I do try to use it some. Well, we will put links so everyone can find you. And we wanted to thank you so much for chatting with us today. It's like, also, I have a website, my own website, Mm elisefresh.com. And I have put on there 
lots and lots of information, some talks I've given, some papers I've written. So if people want to learn more about intuitive eating beyond the books, so there's the you know, the third edition and now next year the fourth edition and the intuitive eating workbook and now my teen book. But if they want to learn more, there's um, – and, and more personal things about my belief system. Mm-hmm. I have a whole um, link to something I call words of wisdom, things that I have you know, lived by in my life. So that would be one place. And then, of course, there's the intuitiveeating.org website that lists well, – there's over 90 studies now validating intuitive eating as an evidence-based <laughs> process. So, wow. um, so cool. Great. find abstracts of, of that too wow yes. that is something else 90 mm. <laughs> we've come a long way yes yes <laughs> thank god thank god oh my goodness no kidding i mean when this began there was no research that was just we just kind of it was a gut thing well it was an intuitive thing <laughs> <laughs> totally right. well again thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us we were fangirling out a little bit yeah. we were so excited oh to chat goodness. with you so Thank you. It just went by so fast. I thought, well, aren't we just beginning? (laughs) (laughs) So that's it, moms. That's the last bite for today. But in case you're hungry for more, head on over to the Mama Bites website. That's M-O-M-M-A, Mama Bites website, and stream more of our podcasts. Or find them anywhere that you find your podcasts. iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play. And don't forget to stop by Instagram and definitely come on by our Facebook group, the Mama Bites Lunch Table. We'd love to have you there. And until we meet again next time, remember, motherhood is a long journey. Don't forget to pack some snacks.